Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yes. 71.12%. Almost 25 years since it was signed, and with many people gearing themselves up to celebrate it, the majority of unionists say they would vote against the Good Friday Agreement if given the chance today. We are split over whether the Sinn Féin president, Mary Lou Macdonald, should play a part in political talks in Northern Ireland. And bizarrely, the British government chose to uh, seek to exclude uh, the leader of Sinn Féin from a leaders' meeting. And health is the biggest political priority for many. Those waiting times numbers are staggering. And the Northern Ireland executive isn't sitting right now over arguments about the Northern Ireland protocol. And while decisions are being made in Stormont, ambulances continue to stack up, patients continue to wait. Those are just some of the headline stats to emerge from the latest Belfast Telegraph Lucid Talk polling. Joining me for a deep dive into those figures is the Managing Director of Lucid Talk, Bill White, and Belfast Telegraph reporter, Andrew Madden. You're both very welcome to the Bell Tell. Uh, Andrew, once again, Bill, for the first time, the first time of, of, of many, I hope. Well, thank you. The biggest stat that jumps out at me from the latest polling is that just 35% of unionists would vote for the Good Friday Agreement today. Bill, what question did you ask people? Well, the question we asked, we tried to model it with the question that was asked in 1998. And as you quite correctly say, of course, this is the uh, year of the 25th anniversary of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement and... uh, there may or may not be celebrations or events, and obviously, um, you know, that's that remains to be seen. So we asked the same question again. Basically, we said the Good Friday Agreement was ratified by referendums north and south of the border in 1998. If there was a vote on it today, how would you vote? And the results came in at 64%. The, the total Northern Ireland results, 64% yes, 31% no, 5% don't know, not sure. And uh, the comparison, that that means the yes vote is down about uh, 7%, was down nearly exactly 7% on the actual result in 1998. And the no vote has gone up about 2% uh, since 1998. And uh, the uh, the difference in that is made up of the 5% don't know. So um, 35, as you correctly say, 35% of unionists 
when we analyse and dig deep into the figures, uh, 35% of unionists would vote yes if the referendum was held today. Uh, so that's that's the uh, that's the key statistics, and that's down significantly on what is estimated to be the unionist yes vote in nineteen ninety eight. Do you think that's is is that all down to politics, or is there demographics involved in that? Or uh, and again, unionists. I mean, we're we're not sure, but unionists were split, as you said, in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, and it's accepted in 1998, I should say, that a slight majority of unionists voted yes. Now, it's hard to determine because there was very little polling going on at that time. There was very little post-agreement research. So it's basically estimated on looking at what the election results are and uh, working back from that. So in in a, in a overall mathematical sense, it's very hard to get to the 71% yes vote in 1998 unless a majority of unionists voted yes. That's assuming, and this is the key point, that's assuming that 95% of nationalists and 95% of the Alliance Green vote uh, voted yes. So if you assume that, uh, and the overall result is 71%, that means about 53 54%, 55% of unionists uh, probably voted yes. But certainly uh, at least a small majority of unionists voted yes. Now that's dropped to 35% now which is quite a significant drop. Um, it's not doesn't mean that everybody else has gone no. There's quite a significant don't knows among unionists of 11%. People are saying maybe they voted yes or would, but they're not so sure now. So that that is is a factor in the, in the figures as well. Andrew, the commentariat in, in general seem not to be surprised by this stat. No, not at all. Um, I think there's probably various factors behind that. I know when I was going through the uh, state papers earlier this year, they were the ones covering the run-up to the referendums um, back in 1998, and there was a lot of work that went behind the scenes manoeuvring to push the vote up as much as possible, just to, just to get it, just to get it through over the line. So I think, you know, over the years since then, it's kind of dwindled, you know, that enthusiasm, that work that went in behind the Good Friday Agreement just to, just to make sure it passed. Um, it's kind of faded into the background and, you know, society, many would say, has become more polarised now and things are completely different, especially when you look at the, the political parties. I mean, back in 1998, UUP were the biggest party and then you had the SELP, who were the biggest nationalist party. Now you have the DUP and Sinn Féin. It's, it's completely different. And you talk about that polarisation mm-hmm. and I know many people on the left, for example, we had Eamon McCann mm-hmm. on this podcast and Eamon McCann opposed the Good Friday Agreement and opposes the Good Friday Agreement for, as he said it, inevitably increasing polarisation in our society. Mm. But despite the socialist um, critique, despite the dissident Republican critique, support for the Good Friday Agreement seems as strong as ever in the nationalist community, even stronger perhaps. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps it has. And it's always been, you know, strongly the thing people were worrying about back in 1998 was getting unionists to support it, but nationalists, it's always been very strong. It was seen as, as a fairly generous settlement. Um, and as you say, at the time, it was seen by Sinn Féin, at least, as a kind of a stepping stone, as a transitional kind of um, deal to get a government, a transitional government to get a united Ireland eventually. Yeah. Bill, um, the second story which jumped out of the stats for me anyway, uh, concerned the, the DUP and the protocol and getting back to work now. As we know, Stormont is uh, uh, is moribund for the time being. Uh, politicians are not working in Stormont. Well, they may say they're working somewhere, but they're not working in Stormont. The Assembly isn't sitting and there's no executive and that's over ostensibly the, the protocol. Um, this survey says that 
people that people sixty percent of people think that the DUP should just get back into government. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Um, but again, <laughs> there is in Northern Ireland there's a split between the nationalist uh, uh, Republican community and the Alliance voter base, and the Unionist voter base. And of course, we well know that is where the issue lies. It's within the unionist community that the concerns about the Northern Ireland Protocol exist. Uh, so yes, 60% um, say that the DUP should re-enter the Stormont institutions and this is regardless of the format of the Northern Ireland Protocol. So just, yes, your point's a good one. Get back to work. That's what 60% of Northern Ireland said. That is made up and there's 97%, as you would expect, 97% of nationalist Republicans agree with that. That's SDLP, Sinn Féin voters, that community. 88% of the Alliance, Green and others voter base, um, you know, independents, neutral um, uh, and the Alliance, of course, most of that's the Alliance voter base. So 88% of that base agree with that, which um, and that's the beyond bedrock of that support. But only 21% of unionists agree with that. Uh, and obviously, when you average all that out, that comes out at 60%, as you've just said, want to get back to work. Um, it could be said from my personal point of view, the 21%, that's one in five. Of course, we know there's objections to the Northern Ireland Protocol. It's on the news all the time and you call you people cover it quite extensively. Um, to me, and it's just a personal view, that one in five of the unionists say they should get back to work regardless of the Northern Ireland Protocol, frankly, I think is, is high. I mean, I think it's, it's not okay, it's a minority, but it's not one in 15 or one in 20, it's one in five. So maybe, you know, it shows there's a core you know, group of people within unionism who count themselves as unionism, we vote for unionist parties and they really are very much pro the DUP getting back to work and sorting out the Northern Ireland Protocol from within the system. So um, I think that's something, you know, to look at. You know, that's that's the figure that said they should get back to work. Yeah, And I suppose as well, when you look at that kind of figure and you try to look at the parties, I mean, that stance about just getting back to work, that would be also unionists in terms of their current political yeah, stance. good point, yeah. But... There's more than that one in five, as you mentioned. That's one what, in, what about the four in five? Exactly, what about the four in well, five? Yeah, but in terms, okay, of, in terms of the one in five, one in five people in Northern Ireland, according to recent polls, aren't also unionist voters. So there's a section of those people that could be DEP voters as well, or they could be Alliance unionist voters. Yes, mm. exactly. Well, well, my maths is under pressure today. And I put, um, <laughs> four in five, that's that's 80%, with 80% of the unionist, if I have the electorate, yeah. not believing that the protocol must be sorted uh, before the DUP go into this really seems quite the fix then. Well, yes, but again, it, defined, it depends what you define as what needs to be sorted. I mean, we did then the other question, that was the first part of the question, there's three other options. The second option said they should re-enter Storm, but only based on what we termed, and it's our term, and seems to be taken up with the media this now, called the lighter touch Northern Ireland Protocol, which is what people are perceiving is going to come out of the current negotiations between the United Kingdom and the EU. Um, you know, what you could terminate it. There's going to be a Northern Ireland Protocol, but okay, it's probably going to be spin that it's not as bad as the last one and the green red lanes and all this, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, detail that obviously UP, UPU and the Belfast Telegraph will investigate. So there's 12% said the DUP of unionists this is, should re-enter Storm, but only in based on this lighter touch protocol. So you're now beginning, there's 25% that the DUP should not re-enter pro- the Northern Ireland government again until there's significant changes to the Northern Ireland protocol. So you're now beginning to build up. There is a an area there where it depends really on the deal 
um, if there's a deal that uh, the DUP and particularly Jeffrey Donaldson can sell to the unionist community, then maybe Jeffrey Donaldson will take that opportunity. There is 41% on the other end of the scale, 41% of unionists, 21% of Northern Ireland overall, but that's mostly made up of the 41% of unionists who said the DUP should not re-enter government at all until the Northern Ireland Protocol has gone completely. So that 41%, yes, I have to say that's quite a significant number. It's still a minority of unionists, but you know, it's, it's still it's Jeffrey towards Donaldson one or two would have a really, really difficult mm-hmm. decision to make in the first place. I think, yeah, perhaps. Uh, I mean, yeah. it'll have to come down one way or the other. He would have a very difficult sell one yeah. way, the, one way or the other, and he'll know that. Uh, he, he, he. It almost feels to me that he's slightly in a lose-lose situation because those stats mm-hmm. make it seem to me like a very difficult situation mm-hmm. and a very difficult sell. Very much so. I think I think it will worry him and especially um, the amount of people who said that they shouldn't go back in regardless because it does seem like in terms of the mid-music that he's going to have to sell for a lot less than completely getting rid of the protocol. But then he's been for ever since May's assembly election, he said, well, we have a mandate um, you know, to address these concerns. But then it just gets, it becomes subjective. You know, when you look at what does significant changes to the program mm, mean? Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, Sometimes yeah. here we just change the name. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's true. A little yes. bit of uh, verbal gymnastics might be required. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, and again, but some people will say, you know, will point that out that you've just changed the name, and perhaps they'll mm. focus on the name and not maybe the substantial. Uh, concessions that maybe have mm. been won, and that—that's as we know is politics. Well, mm. you, could, you know, you could have a situation where you have, you know, maybe towards the more liberal end of the unionist spectrum, uh, people like Doug Beatty saying these are significant changes, etc., and people like Jim Allison saying it's only tinkering mm-hmm. and it's not significant changes at all. So, you could get that debate within unionism, which will be a difficult debate. Again, you've just made the point, and it's in the question uh, and the third option. Well, it's what you define as significant changes mm-hmm. could become particularly crucial here yeah. uh, if we're assuming there's going to be a deal between the United Kingdom and the EU. Uh, and with all due respect to Jim Allister, I can predict his stance with absolute certainty <laughs> on this because he takes a very, what he would describe as a principled view and it's a very clear down well, that's a the fair line point. and you know, you you know where, he, where he'll be on it. There's no, there's no. With all fairness to J- J- Jim Allister, he's a very, he's a very principled man, but there's very little subtlety there. Yeah, and you know where you stand. Yeah, and I suppose you obviously you have to remember as well that um, getting the power sharing institutions back up and running isn't dependent on whether Jim Allister wants them back up and running or not. In terms of his, you know, his vote is inconsequential. In terms of he doesn't have a seat around the executive table or anything like that. Well, his voters aren't inconsequential. Well, they're not inconsequential, but in terms of the wider scheme of things, in well, terms we, of getting we, things we, back we maybe get on. back to that because we've discussed the difference between the percentage support for the TUV and translating and indices. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to pick out another one of the headlines which jumped out at me. Perhaps I'm being a little populist here. We are remarkably, and I'm, it's almost comically, uh, and I don't want to make light of this. Sometimes I've made light of, of our political divisions here on, on the Bell Tale because we, we, are, we, just, we are just so perfectly divided over whether Mary Lou MacDonald should take part in talks over the future of Northern Ireland or, or not. It is simply, it's where you were born, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, 48% of the people think she should be invited. 47% think not. <laughs> 
Indeed, and uh, you know, Northern Ireland is split as 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 it was said in the coverage. Northern Ireland is split down the middle in this issue. Um, but again, when you dig into the figures, that's where the more interesting data comes out. Um, as you would predict, ninety one percent of nationalists. Republicans, the SDLP, Sinn Féin voter base thinks she should be included. Only 7% think she shouldn't be included. Uh, I suppose the interesting split here is the, in the Alliance Green um, Others voter base, 56% yes say the yes, she should be included. 29% say no, she shouldn't be included. So the Alliance voter base, Green voter base, split two to one in favour of her being included. But there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a split there. Unionists, as you would expect, or as you would expect, 12%, where I say, 12% say she should be included, 83% say no, 5% don't know. So, um, uh, you know, you can see Northern Ireland split along community lines in this issue, really, as, as would be expected, I suppose. Andrew, I mean, it's an interesting one. You could say, you could say if you're very cynical, I mean, Mary Lou Macdonald has an awful lot on her plate. Mm. She's a leader of the opposition in, in the Dáil. She yeah. needs to keep up to date with a lot of things. She's running a political party, et cetera, et cetera. And does she really have the time to immerse herself also in the politics of Northern Ireland? Is 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 there a degree of window dressing here? Is there a degree of it being a political stunt? Or am I being just so cynical? Uh, well, possibly. I suppose at the end of the day, you know, Sinn Féin voters will say, they're an all-Ireland party, and so why don't you have their leader? But then again, you know, critics will say, well, you've got a leader in Northern Ireland, in Michelle O'Neill. And this obviously all came to a head with a meeting with the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, a number of weeks ago, where essentially Mary MacDonald said she wasn't invited, she turned up, she wasn't allowed in the room, and the SLP and Sinn Féin both walked out, and Alliance, DUP, and the DUP stayed. And you can understand from both sides, but this, it seemed to be at the time when this happened, there was kind of, well, that's that's the, I don't want to use the word protocol, but that's the way things work. It's like we, we don't normally bring in um, the heads of the government, a different government, who would be an EU member, especially around issues around Brexit. So you can see a practical. Um, and she's also the leader of the opposition. I mean, exactly. There's a yeah. role in the dark. Yeah. But then, but then people were asking, well, is there actually a rule that says this? Or is this just the way things work normally? So... You know, it made it made a row anyway. At least I did, and I, something that, I mean, just to look at the subtleties of that, is that you know Sinn Fein said, "Come on, now we're going," and 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 Colm Eastwood got up and followed them. Yeah. So he had a choice. He had a communal choice there to make. Do mm-hmm. do I do I risk the wrath of my voters or do I take a secondary role yeah. to Sinn Fein and be and be let out the door? So yeah, I, I mean, think he just he kind of just took that decision and the fact that they wanted to get these negotiations on a good footing and get them working. And the best way to do that is have everyone around the table, not someone standing out in the hallway shouting, "Let me in." So he took a practical stance and said, look, if we actually want these talks to bear any sort of fruit whatsoever, we're better doing it with everyone. Moving on now to the parties, I've talked about the parties, you know, and the last thing I should do is, I think the cliche is, as you were, and I don't want to undersell the story here, and maybe that's what I've done, but there isn't an awful lot of of change in the support for the parties, which for them, I suppose, they will take as, well, our supporters are generally being kept happy by our various stances. Is is there anything in the party support that we can say there's a story 
Phil? Well, yeah, no, I think your introduction is quite fair. I mean, this is in technical terms. We had the Northern Assembly election last May. We're sort of mid-term here. Um, and uh, I know there's obviously speculation about another Northern Ireland Assembly election. Maybe the, we'll come on to that. But um, so you expect these sort of, and this happens in polls in Britain and, and the uh, in the South as well, um, that, you know, in between midterm, you know, between polls, you don't get much change in certain periods of time. There's a practical point. We had our autumn poll at the start of November. We've had the Christmas period in between. Let's be honest, you know, most people don't go around in the Christmas period thinking every five minutes about politics. There's lots of other things going on. Then we come back and we've run our winter poll. So to be honest with you, yes, there isn't there isn't much change. There's some points just maybe to look at. Um, Sinn Féin, okay, they're down one point in this poll, but that's within the margin of error. So they're holding their 31%. We have it in this poll. That's um, 2% higher than what they got in the Northern Ireland Assembly election. The DUP did bounce back a little bit from the Northern Ireland Assembly election performance uh, when they got 21.6% of the vote um, just to blow our own trumpet. We we predicted them just around 21%, so we got that pretty spot on. have to say that, don't I? <laughs> um, so um, they bounced back a little bit, but they've consolidated, they've dropped back two points in this poll, showing that they're not just bouncing ahead, getting back up to the 30% area that they used to be at a few years back, both in polls and both indeed in election performances. So they're, they're around mid-teens, but they're, you know, obviously holding there, but they need to advance. They're still six points behind Sinn Féin. Um, UUP are about the same. They're up one point in this poll, but that's still down 1% what they got in the Northern Ireland Assembly election. So you must all put that into a little bit of perspective. The TUV are up two points in this poll, sort of matching the drop of the two points from the DUP, um, showing that the voter base there, we're finding in these polls, is quite loyal. They got 7.6% in the Northern Ireland Assembly election, 7% in this poll. Um, uh, so they're holding that vote, um, which is actually quite typical and applies in Britain and elsewhere. When people tend to, and the research shows us, when people tend to change and vote for another party, they tend to stick with them for a while. Um, there is an element of bouncing back. People bounce back to the DUP uh, because we have to assume that the big growth in the TUV vote was mostly from the DUP voter base. You know, I think that's that has to be accepted. Um, so, but they tend to stand loyal with that voter base, and um, this is the thing with political parties: if they lose support. They have to put a significant effort into getting it back, and it does take a period of time. So it will be some time before that. I would suggest the DUP get back up to the heady days of the thirty-two, thirty-three percent vote shares they used to get. You know, because it will be. Of course, a lot of this is dependent on what we discussed earlier. How the whole Northern Ireland Protocol debate uh, obviously pans out. But and we've discussed that we've mentioned this already. It does seem that the DUP. It, well, it's a fact the DUP's uh, su- supporter base. Or s- stick by them, mm-hmm. and it is also a fact that the that Sinn Féin supporter base and and I suppose in a, in a wider sense sticks with them as well. Mm-hmm. So again, this these are all things which will have to be brought into the mix, Andrew. Yeah, of course, and I suppose the most interesting thing in terms of how these kind of results translate into into real life, if you want to put it that way, would be coming up in May's um, local government elections. And by looking at these figures, you would imagine that the TEV would manage to uh, pick up a few council seats. They didn't, even though their vote was up during the assembly election, they didn't manage to translate into the seats. That's to do with um, the way our voting system works here and the vote was split. It was quite crowded unionist field. But yeah, it, it just it, it shows that Sinn Féin, um, it's, they've steadied the ship and DEP have 
I've also I've also kept their their voter base, which Jeff Jeffrey Donaldson will be happy with. I suppose council elections are the microeconomics of of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I suppose we could be in a situation where in May we have both council elections and stormal elections, which yeah. will be really interesting. But if we if we take the TUV's uh, support at seven yeah. percent and the SDLP's support at seven percent, we're not actually comparing lake for lake. No, the, the SDLP have MPs, uh, MLAs, uh, and a plethora of, of councillors to this day. This is, I mean, obviously, this is a quite a technical question in terms of uh, councils. But and this is a question to you both: Can the TUV use the council elections to? get beyond the status of being a one-man band, albeit with 7% of the support of the, vo- the vote? Well, I think in council elections, um, it's a bit easier to pick up seats because the threshold in terms of the... Well, for one, the voter turnout is generally quite a bit lower than it is in assembly elections, and also the threshold for gaining a seat in, um, in the council elections is a lot lower. You know, there's some wards that are only made up of maybe 10,000 people, so you, you get a majority of maybe, you know, 1,200 votes in any of your seat. So that doesn't necessarily mean that if you say the TV gain 20 seats in the council election, they're going to gain anything like that in an assembly election. It's just it's not the way it works. Mm. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, <laughs> council elections, local government elections are the thing that polling companies um, dislike the most because they're, they're the most difficult type of elections to poll about. We will officially, just to say, not be polling for the Northern Ireland local government elections. Our polling question is, uh, their base polling question says, how are you going to vote at a Northern Ireland Assembly election one was to take place tomorrow? But of course, it has to relate a little bit to what's going to happen in the council elections. In a crude sense, we would expect our next spring poll will be a few weeks before the Northern Ireland council elections and we'll try to make the caveat that, yes, this is just for the Northern Ireland Assembly election, folks. So please don't, uh, you know, translate it directly into Northern Ireland council elections and council seats. But no doubt the uh, the political anoraks out there will. And, uh, of course, they'll sort of say, oh, this is all based on the Lucid Talk vote. But that's fine. We live with that. But what we would expect is that the UUP will probably overperform a little bit on what they get what they poll in the Northern Ireland Assembly election. Um, the DUP may be down a little bit, so will Sinn Féin. The SDLP tend to overperform in local government elections. And a lot of this is to do with the word local. It's There are some good, strong local candidates mm-hmm. and there will be DUP people who will go out and vote for UUP councillors even though they vote DUP in the Northern Ireland Assembly yeah. election. Why? Because of the next door neighbour. as Exactly, I think local government So there's elections. a little bit of that in it. And yeah. sometimes these labels... Party labels for local councillors are a label of convenience. Yeah, yeah. Well, they think, really yeah. some some councillors take very little part in the wider party. It's they just they need somebody to mm-hmm. to, to yeah. put their their, their mm-hmm. leaflets. Mm-hmm. And other times, clearly the councillors. I mean, I know councillors who seem to have very little interest mm-hmm. in in council issues and spend most of their time talking about international issues. Mm-hmm. It depends yeah, yeah. on on on, on 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 the party. Exactly. Um, like it's it, it's interesting uh, again, and I we discussed this before. And you know, alliance stays unchanged, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not surprised by that. SDLP support is static, but again, the SDLP is a former big beast of politics. Mm-hmm. And whilst the whilst the nose is certain, whilst the the, the, the plane is not in a dive, it's mm-hmm. been steadied. They never. It's been it steady, yeah. But as, as Bill mentioned earlier, it's it's a lot harder to pick up where you know the seats you've or the support you've lost 
than it is, you know, to get in the first place. And you you can't see, I just don't see where the SCLP kind of go from here. You just imagine them just kind of sticking around that figure. I mean, they went into opposition now, which is kind of the only option that was left to them in terms of what they do in terms of just fading into irrelevance. But um, yeah, I see if they just stay where they are, I think they'll be happy enough for that. Bill, I have a, a long-standing fascination with, with all due respect, micro parties. I just, I just love the thought. I just love thinking about why do people, you know, involve themselves passionately in politics when the parties which they support or are members of are really very, very low. And I I suppose I have two questions uh, with regard to that. When we're looking at the Green Party and People Before Profit and Into, for example, when you get down to percentages so small, how can we be totally sure uh, uh, about that? About the accuracy there? Are we? Are we really? You know, because if there, if if there's a, if we're talking about a margin of error of one or two percent. Well, you know, your point's a good one. I mean, the, the margin of error mathematically in this poll is two point three percent, and that's but that's an average. Yes, across all the scores, the party scores we've been discussing, that gets more accentuated or more exaggerated as you move towards the smaller parties. So it has to be said, you know, the 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 error that you get in the smaller parties could be higher, um, not much higher, but I mean it's still indicative, obviously, of of the vote shares. Um, you mentioned the onto there. Um, they they are up one in this recent poll, and we are picking up that there is. Um, you mentioned enthusiasm. There's a passion there uh, within their voter base, and uh, certainly they're working hard to increase their voter base in Northern Ireland. So it'd be interesting to see how they perform in the local government elections. Um, let me say that you know, as far as they, our polling is concerned, and it is for the Northern Ireland Assembly election, we would expect it. I have to say, and I have to take responsibility. For it, we would expect our poll, our spring poll, uh, to to bear some resemblance to the. To the local government elections, we would expect. I think the Jim Allister will be very disappointed. I mean, he he needs with these sort of polling in the Northern Ireland Assembly election to be at least gaining some councillors and gaining seats uh, in in his strong areas in the local government elections. Um, uh, so you know, obviously, it has to bear some resemblance. And uh, but again, a lot of that depends on obviously the negotiations. And I would suggest the Northern Ireland Protocol that could really change the whole voting dynamics. And there are poll scores in our spring. Poll depending on what agreement comes out of uh, between the UK and the EU regarding the Northern Ireland yeah. Protocol, you know. And That's thought, quite crucial. Yeah, four months until Poland Day. And so it's a long time in politics. Four months, exactly. a lot can happen. Yeah. Uh, and obviously when I'm speaking about these micro-parties, they can also pick up very small parties. Micro-parties mm-hmm. are perhaps a little dismissive, mm-hmm. but they can pick up councillors and we can see that with people before profit in mm-hmm. Belfast. Yeah, very And awesome. due to the nature of our political system, mm-hmm. you know, the Green Party and people before profit have been both uh, represented are both represented in the in, in the in the uh, so long since no the greens sat. actually lost no, both their seats not, no. it's been so yeah. long since the, the storm but i mm. you know again it, i just it's almost a philosophical point but we mm-hmm. look at in terms of our own politics because i want to speak about the critical issues now mm-hmm. um i look at twitter and everyone's anti-capitalist and everyone <laughs> is 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 very infor- informed and um, the climate change etc cetera, etc cetera. and then i look at the, the you know we're down there really in, in the real world this, it's it's one percent should I spend less time on Twitter probably I think that's probably a good rule of thumb for most people yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that's it as well uh, you hear a lot about these people about um, issues they feel passionate about but when it comes down to polling they don't show up and vote or else it doesn't 
translate into votes for the party they would most likely be associated with. Well, that's what we'll talk about some mm-hmm. t- podcasts in the future. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we always come up with some new idea during the podcast. <laughs> but let's talk about those issues, which which the the working man, the ordinary person in the street are passionate about. And those those are the, the critical issues, the important issues of we always said. Now, we've, I suppose people could say, well, why are you talking about this in the, in the latter half of the podcast? And that's because that I know in terms of podcasting, I can look at my stats and I know what people are interested in <laughs> uh, and in black and white. And therefore, that's, the, that's why I've started with some things at the start of the podcast and I'm cascading down. So the priorities, uh, the dealing with the health crisis bill is seen as the most critical issue by 38% of the, of, of the voters. Uh, I would have thought it would be higher. Uh, mm. Yes, that's true. And uh, the sorting the Northern Ireland Protocol came in at twenty five percent. I was surprised. That's what I was that. surprised by yeah uh, that it was as high as that. Taking into account this is the whole of Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're polling here, and the reality the uh, is that you know that twenty five percent comes ninety percent from the unions community. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the lodge of ninety five percent of the unions community. So yes, um, it was um, you know a little bit surprising. It just shows the we're picking up. You know that they, there is strong awareness of the Northern Ireland Protocol among the unionist community, and there are a significant number, as we said earlier, a uh, significant number of unionists still want rid of it completely or wanted uh, significant changes to it. So, and they count that as quite an important issue. Um, now, health is still dealing with the health crisis; is still higher. Um, tackling the cost of living comes in at sixteen percent, restoring Stormont at seventeen percent. So. Um, it's, it's not a great score for Stormont, sure it's not. And especially no. if you consider that we're always talking about the role that Stormont could potentially play in terms of the health service and the cost of living crisis. Mm-hmm. It's almost like people think, mm-hmm. no. It's just, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because all these issues are you know are related. I mean, because you've got twenty five percent for sorting the protocol, but only seventeen for restoring Stormont. But you would think, well, you would think that one would follow the other once the protocol is sorted, then you'd Stormont get back up and running. And then you could um, have some sort of action to tackle the health crisis and the cost of living crisis. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating actually, just how these issues kind of rank. Mm-hmm. Just just for the for the sorting out the protocol to be nine percentage points over the cost of living crisis is fascinating because you know the cost of living crisis I I would have thought would be something that would impact a lot more people than the protocol would. But there you go. Well, as we know, politics is based on reason and rational decisions taken off the back of data and economic well-being. I'm joking, of course. <laughs> Let's get down to personalities and who's popular and who's struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Bill. Yes, well, yeah, we, we do a regular question. Uh, the two common questions we do in each poll are obviously the uh, who are you going to vote for at the next Northern Ireland Assembly election if there, if there was an election tomorrow. And the second question is that uh, we ask to people to rate the Northern Ireland political leaders um, from good performance through neutral to bad performance. So we end up with um, a... a uh, rating where what we do is uh, we take the good people who score the good or great performance and we take away the bad 
people who score the bad performance in terms of percentages, we ignore the neutral for the sake of this argument. So we end up with a rating um, between 100 plus 100 means you're absolutely brilliant and can't be improved. Minus 100 means it's terrible. You couldn't be worse. And um, uh, we end up that Michelle O'Neill is viewed as the... um, the best performer among Northern Ireland political, or all the political leaders, but we also um, poll Rishi Sunak and Chris Heaton Harris as well on this issue. And uh, Michelle O'Neill, well, she's plus one. Uh, she's in the green territory. She's in the positive territory, and everybody else is in negative territory. Um, Jeffrey Donaldson's minus thirty-eight. Uh, Nomi Long and Colm Eastward are, you know, around the same, taking into account the poll, you know, error, etc. Nomi Long's minus one, Colm Eastward's minus five, so they're sort of neutral. Doug Beattie, now the significant thing here is Doug Beattie was is minus fourteen in this poll. He was, uh, that's down nineteen points. He was plus five in our November poll. Um, which shows there seems to be as he's the most unpopular leader among unionists. Um, so it, you know, obviously that's something something to to consider. Um, the uh, uh, Chris Heaton Harris, as you would expect, is the um, the most um, um, lowest rated leader at minus sixty four. Rishi Sunak's minus forty seven. Um, so um, I'm afraid uh, the Secretary of State, and indeed this has been the same with previous Secretary of States, doesn't score uh, very well at all among Northern Ireland. We have to take into account the communities here. I mean, as I say, the if you're getting anywhere near positive territory, it means you're doing brilliantly in your own community or very well in your own community. And that would apply to Michelle O'Neill because we have to face the real politic of Northern Ireland. Even though we ask and we put it in big bold letters in the question, please disregard your own political views here. We just want your view on the person as a political leader and their competence and how well they're doing. But we all know human beings are human beings. And frankly, the unionist communities do still rate Michelle O'Neill at pretty badly. Interestingly, in her previous poll, she got a more positive rating from the unionist community, relatively. I mean, I'm talking 15, 20% positive here, when it used to be 3% positive. But, but that was immediately after, I think, the, uh, well, it was immediately after the death of the Queen and her attendance at the funeral yeah. and her uh, attendance at Hillsborough and that whole uh, image of her being involved in that process seemed to have a a reasonably positive impact mm-hmm. in the unionist community. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the uh, that's the summary of the scores. Um, the so. I suppose there was that incident with Michelle O'Neill as well, where she said during I think it was a podcast or radio show, "There's no alternative to IRA violence," which angered quite a lot of people. But it just shows you that um, it hasn't had much effect in terms of her own. And uh, that's the nature of our politics. It Sometimes is the of things our can, yes. you know, maybe that would annoy the unionist community and many commentators, etc. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of yeah, a lot of um, national commentators even said, "Look, what, what did you expect her to say?" Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, can I ask you to take us through the methodology involved in the in, in the polls very succinctly, just so we can explain to people where these stats come from. Yes. Well, I mean, that's a common question we often get. Um, just to do a bit of marketing, there is an article uh, I wrote, wrote for you, the Belfast Telegraph, about three years ago on just how polls work. And uh, we have that on our website, which in all my humbleness, I think is quite a good, reasonable uh, view of how polls work. As to say, actually, I've obviously uh, taken some of the uh, descriptions from uh, the British Polling Council, which we remember in their descriptions and uh, and other things. But basically, yeah, what what polls try to do is give obviously give a reflection 
um, an accurate reflection of opinion at a point in time. And it's very much, I always use the analogy of if you think of a large bowl of soup and uh, the, the you're cooking it at home or whatever and you stir it and say it's a vegetable soup and uh, what you do is to you take you test it and uh, you stir it. You make sure there's the right number of ingredients in it, from the the rice to the the onions and all the rest of it. And you take a spoonful at the top. That's what we do. And but the key thing is to make sure the spoonful is relative and relates to the whole soup. So you make sure the soup is properly stirred and it's got the ingredients in at the start. So what we do is we take little groups of um, 18 to 24-year-olds, unionists, nationalists, uh, Roman Catholics, Protestants. We take people from all areas of Northern Ireland. So we take a set number of responses from West Tyrone, from Newry, from South Down, from Belfast, related to the populations in those areas. We make sure that there's a reasonable number of 18 to 24-year-olds, over 65-year-olds, reasonable number of middle-class people to working-class people and so on. Those are called demographics in bowls. So we, we make sure they're balanced across 17 different demographics. And again, this is back to the spoon. This is to make sure that the soup is, is the, the spoonful that we take is representative of the soup. And the spoonful is the Northern Ireland Pole. Um, now, you need a reasonable number of people, to, responses to do this. We normally aim for about 3,500 responses in our polls from, and, and we conduct it online. Um, and then we take a, a representative sample out of that of what is Northern Ireland. So in a crude sense, we you know, 40% Catholics, 40% Protestants, 10% no religion, 43% unionists, 41% nationalists, because we have all their data recorded of the people who are taking part in terms of how they voted at all the previous elections back to 2015. So we make sure it's a representative sample of Northern Ireland. Then the theory, the mathematical theory is, if we ask that group of people, um, do you like baked beans? And 70% said they like baked beans and 30% don't. Then if you ran a Northern Ireland referendum on that, it should come out with the same result, roughly, plus or minus 2 or 3%. That's the error. That's where the error comes in. But it's an error when you do it, a slight error. But it should come out roughly around the 70 to 30% mark. And that's the theory. And just to say, you know, people sometimes throw, um, you know, sort of ridicule at it, etc. But it's around us everywhere. I mean, this type of modelling has been used in engineering and everything. And the classic example, um, as I always use... Uh, the recent coronavirus, I mean, the uh, and indeed all drugs, they're all tested exactly the same way, but you can't test a new drug in every person on the planet. I mean, you've been around for decades. So what they do is, what the drug companies do, along with the medical authorities, they take a little groups of people and they test drugs and they see if there's any side effects. And if there's no side effects on the 18 to 30-year-olds, uh, you know, when they do the tests or the people of a certain, uh, you know, background or previous illnesses, etc., uh, then they say, well, that's safe to put the drug on the market and you can get it from your GP, etc., etc. So that it's used exactly the same mathematical modelling that's used in the, the vaccines for the coronavirus. Um, I don't know if this reassures people or not, but <laughs> it's the same modelling that's used in opinion polling. So I don't know if that helps that type of 100 miles an hour description of the methodology, but, yeah, but that's well, them. I find myself wondering... <laughs> and fearing that perhaps the baked beans question that we, we there would be sectarian differences. Let's let's oh, not. Yeah, ask. Be <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Well, I wonder what position Sinn Fein the DP would take on that one. <laughs> Is there anything we should have asked and that we didn't? Well, then I'll take the opportunity to say Andrew Madden and Bill White. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of the Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. Sound designed by Graham Davidson. 
clips from AP, BBC, Channel 4 and Sky. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.